0: Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Father, we thank you for your word today. We know that you are here present with us. We're ready to receive. I pray that you would speak to every person. May no one feel like they're here by accident. They are here by divine appointment. You have something that you want to say to them. Your word says that when we gather in your name, two or three just need to be together and you promise to be right in our midst. We thank you that you're here with us this morning. We're ready to receive all that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Grab your seat. We're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23. Let me read to you the word of God. It says, and when he got into the boat, Ben's going to like this message because he was talking about fishing before, so we're all good. When he got into the boat his disciples followed him and behold there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves but he was asleep and so they went and woke him up saying save us lord for we are perishing and he said to them why are you afraid are you of little faith And then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the waves would obey him? How many of you like boats? Can I see your hand if you like boats? Wow, a lot of you. How many of you own a boat? Can I see? Wow, a few of you. Wow, that's awesome, Ben. You can go fishing with some of the members of your congregation. You know, i got to confess, I'm not really into boats. I am a fisherman, but I like fishing with my feet firmly planted, right, on the ground. I I, I get sick just looking at a boat. But what I do know is that those who love boats and those who had their hands up that love them, buy a boat for recreational purposes, not for transportation. Like, we, we don't use a boat to get somewhere. We, we, we buy a boat because we want to ski behind it. We want to fish from it. We want to travel up the coast in it. Well, back in Jesus' day, boats weren't for recreation and pleasure. They were for transport. I mean, if you wanted to get from point A to point B, you didn't do what I did on Monday and catch the A380. You got in a boat, right? Now, In Cambodia, where we have our kids' education centre, no one much uses boats. Over there, it's all motorbikes. And if you've been to Southeast Asia, you would know everybody gets around on motorbikes. And you will see, it's not uncommon to see five people. I think I've seen six before, but five is a regular number. You know, they're on the back of a bike, the t- no helmets. You know, that, that's, that's not what we do. We just get on the back of that thing and the tires are all like sagging within an inch of their lives. There's a little baby balanced between mom and dad that... There could be pigs and chickens kind of strapped with their legs like this up the back. That's normal in Cambodia. Well, in Jesus' day, that's how it was with boats. It was just something that everybody knew about. And so in Matthew chapter 8, we read that Jesus has been performing miracles. He's been rebuking the devil. He's been healing the sick. But it's getting late in the day. And a strange thing is happening Instead of the crowd dwindling away and going home for supper, the crowd is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so Jesus does something here that most pastors would never, ever do. He pulls his disciples aside and he says, let's cross to the other side of the lake. In other words, let's get out of here. Now, why would Jesus do that? He's a good preacher. He's a very good preacher. Why would he turn his back on the crowd and leave? Well, if you read this story from start to finish more than what I read to you before, you will see, friend, that it was because this crowd that day wanted a show more than they wanted a saviour. That's what they were there for. They wanted a show. They wanted signs. They wanted wonders. They wanted miracles. They were after a show more than they were after a savior. And that's kind of a good place to pause this morning and ask, what are you here for? I mean, I got served a lovely coffee this morning. I'm telling you guys, I got a better coffee this morning than I got last weekend in this massive, massive place that I was ministering. I'm telling you, activate church is doing well with the coffee uh right thank you team for serving us and we had awesome worship this morning the band played great i sent a little uh whatever it was whatsapp message to my friend who's preaching this morning in kuala lumpur and he's like wow that looks awesome man so we got served this morning we got welcomed this morning We got coffees this morning w- what are you here for See, I grew up in church and I know that it's easy to attend church for great friendships and the music and the atmosphere. And in the process, you can miss the one that this is all about. You can miss him. And so Jesus turns his back on this crowd and he gets into the boat. Now, notice that it wasn't just any boat. The Bible calls it the boat. Now, now maybe that was part of Peter's fishing fleet. Maybe they had pimped out this boat specially for Jesus. I don't know whether they did that, but maybe it had chrome kind of oars and it had like fish stickers all over it. I don't know. We're, we're, not, we're not sure. But what we do know is that they knew this boat well. This was not the first time these boys had been out on the sea. They loved boats. They knew this boat. This was the boat. Now, if you study it, you will find that they could have walked to where they were going in about the same time, as they could have floated, right? They could have just walked. But when you're a boaty, why would you walk when you can float, right? That's, that's, what, that's what you get a boat for. And so we read that Jesus gets into the boat and it says, and the disciples followed him. Notice that. They followed him. Now, we've already read the story and we're going to see in a moment that they actually, at this point in their life, in their ministry, it's early days, They had no idea who it was that they were actually following into the boat. But at least they followed him. At least they followed him. A few hours from now, these same men are going to be shivering cold. They're going to be sewed to the skin. They're going to marvel together. And they're going to say, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. So at this point in their journey, let's understand. They had no idea who it was that they were actually following, but at least they followed Him. At least they pulled up the anchor, they pushed out from shore, and they made the decision that day to follow Him. The crowd wasn't willing to do that. You know, the crowd that had come for signs and wonders, they weren't going to get their feet wet. Now, even though Jesus is going to say, boys, your faith is still small, at least they got in the boat they left the crowd behind and they followed him. I want to tell you this morning, a true follower of Jesus knows what it is to leave some things behind and push out into the deep and follow him. Have I got some people like that here this morning? You, you know what that is, right? I want you to imagine this scene. The sun has set. The light is fading And the disciples are loving every minute of it. And that's because this is the time that fishermen fish. If you're not at a fish farm and you want to catch fish in the real world, you you know, you fish not in the middle of the day. You fish in the morning or you fish in the evening. And by the way, can I just say, there's a reason why it's called fishing and not catching, Ben. They're two different things. We go fishing doesn't mean we're catching. Yeah, I'll take you next time. He'll love it. This is the time that fishermen fish, right? And so everybody's happy. Everybody's chilled. They've left the big noisy crowd behind and they're just hanging out with the master. By the way, friends, if you want to hear from heaven, it's a good idea from time to time to step away from the noise of the crowd and just hang with the master. Like, you know, prayer is supposed to be a conversation. It's not supposed to be a one-way kind of a thing as we're racing. for, There's nothing wrong with breath prayers. But, but if you want to hear from heaven, you've got to leave the noise behind and just hang with the master. And that's what these guys were doing. Well, it wasn't long before the rocking of the boat causes Jesus' head to nod and his eyelids to droop. After all, it's been a long day. they got miles, about eight miles to go, and Jesus is tired. And so from another account, we read that he goes below deck, he grabs his favorite cushion, had a big J stitched on the front of it, and uh, he quickly falls asleep. It's a beautiful time. Sea's lovely, fishermen are happy, Jesus is down in the hold of the ship on his favorite cushion. H- have you noticed in life that at the start of any journey, everything's good? Right, When you pack up with a family and we're going to go on holiday, at the start of the journey, it's always good. When you get to the campsite and it's packed out and it's noisy and then the rain comes and you've got a leaky tent, it's not so good then. But at the start of the journey, before the kids start saying, are we there yet? At the end of your street, right? You, it's always good in the beginning of the journey. You know, I've performed hundreds of weddings in my time. And I'm telling you, friend, I have never known a couple to be miserable on their wedding day. Why is that? Well, that's because it's always good at the start of the journey. And so all is calm out on the sea for a while. But in verse 24, it says, Without warning, a furious storm comes up on the lake so that the waves began sweeping over the boat. Think about it. Things were going so great. And then out of nowhere comes this storm. That's the phone call at 3 a.m. It's the diagnosis that takes your breath away. It's the, the funeral that you never, ever expected to attend. It's the trust that you never thought would be broken. And from out of nowhere, a storm comes. Every person in this room knows about that. It's the failure of the business. It's the loss of the job. It's the breakdown in the relationship. And just like that, life goes from calm to chaos. You know, the Greek word that Mark uses in this account to describe this storm is the word mega. Matthew uses the word seismos from where we get seismology. You've got to understand something, friends. That night, the sea erupted with such an intensity and such a violence that hardened fishermen that knew that boat and knew that sea were afraid for their lives. A moment ago, it was all calm. Now, there's only fear and panic. Think about that. From calm to chaos, peace to panic, just in an instant. But we can all relate to that because that's what happens when a storm comes into our lives. I mentioned before that about 18 months ago, Megan and I launched a faith based teaching ministry. Our first ministry invitation was to Israel. How cool is that? I've never been to Israel before. It's the first place that we were invited to minister. And so we're excited, we believe in God for good things. We were just about to get on the plane when my mum called me and she said, your dad has been diagnosed with multiple myeloma, he's in intensive care and the doctors have given him three months to live. And out of nowhere, a storm comes. I want to talk about storms this morning because all of us in this room know what it is to be hit with a storm, but what we need to know is what to do when we're in the middle of one. We've all faced storms, but we've got to know, know, know and learn what to do when we're in one. So this morning, I want to talk to you about how to triumph over the storms of life. That's what we're going to talk about, how to triumph over the storms of life. You know, we face some wild weather. The last couple of weeks, every night on the news this week, I've seen stories of physical storms. You know, we're tracking Irma right now. Is it about to hit the Florida coast, been through Cuba and now it's heading for florida we've got some great pastoral friends there and we're standing with them and just believing that that thing will not cause the damage that people are saying that are you know we're seeing physical storms around the world right now we're seeing economic storms we're seeing political storms in our world and so this morning i want to explain to you where do storms come from why do we experience them and what should we do when we're in one See, whether you're in a storm right now or you're just coming out the other side of one or it's just smooth sailing, I don't want you to forget something. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. In other words, you can expect some storms, right? Right? So, so let's not be surprised when the storm comes. Jesus said, hey, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he said, but take heart. Why? Why should we take heart? Because he said, I have overcome the world. So why is it that as followers of Jesus We endure storms. Why is it that we even have to go through storms? Why is it that we just can't say yes to Jesus and then have a storm-free life? Why is it that there are storms brewing in our world today? Well, it's because we have a spiritual enemy. And his favorite tool to bring us down and cause us to be ineffective and take us out are storms. That is hugely, hugely important for you to understand in the crazy times that we are living in today. I'm saying this morning, friend, listen to me, 99% of the storms in your life come from the evil one. A few are the result of our stupid choices, our poor choices, but most of them come from the enemy. They are not from God. They are not sent from heaven to teach you a lesson. They come from the devil and this storm in Matthew chapter 8 is no exception. We know that because notice when Jesus stills this storm, he doesn't just speak to it. The Bible says he rebukes it. You know that word rebuke there? as only ever used in the Bible for the casting out of an evil spirit. So please understand, Jesus knew where this storm had come from. He knew the origin of it. It was not a freak of nature. This was sent by the enemy to take him and the disciples out at the start of his ministry. And I want you to know this morning that the storms in your life, storms in your relationship, storms in your marriage, storms in your finances, storms in your family, they're not accidents. They're not accidents. They're instruments of the enemy. You have an enemy. He's very crafty. Now, his power has been defeated by Jesus on the cross. But if we don't know our authority and we don't know how to deal with him, we'll think that he's all powerful he can do what he wants. He cannot. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. He cannot do whatever he likes. But if you don't know your authority, we give him free reign in our lives. See, those things that you're facing are not accidents. They're instruments of the enemy. And they have a very specific purpose. And I would like you to write this down this morning because this will help you when this sermon is over and you go back to life. Write this down. Just write down, Satan sends storms so he can steal my peace. Just write that down. Satan sends storms into my life, into my family, into my finances, so he can steal my peace. That is what he wants, friends. He wants to take away your peace. I'll explain that more in just a little moment. But just remember today, the purpose of these storms is to steal your peace. He wants to take away your peace, your trust, your confidence. That's what he's after. He wants to steal your peace. But you know what a lot of people don't realize? is that many times in this modern world that we're living in, the devil doesn't need to send a a storm into our lives to steal our peace. He just needs to get us anticipating a storm and the results are exactly the same. You know, he doesn't even need to send it, but if we can anticipate it, if he can get us thinking that way, what if I don't get the job? What if the treatment fails? What if I can't meet the repayments? What if I fail the exam? What if there's a terrorist attack? What if something goes down with North Korea? What if I remain single for the rest of my life? If he can get you thinking like that, he will steal your thoughts, uh, steal your peace, sorry, through those anxious thoughts that you have running around in your brain. You know, in the United States right now, medication for depression and anxiety is the number one thing that people spend money on when it comes to medical stuff. Like the money that is spent right now dealing with depression and anxiety is through the roof. It's the same in our country. Do you know the definition of that word anxiety? To be anxious is to be afraid of a threat that has not yet happened. It is to be afraid of a threat that has not yet happened. It hasn't happened and it may never happen, but we're afraid. It's to think in such a way and to speak in such a way that a storm begins to brew up here in our, in our mind. And before you know it, our peace has been stolen. I'm telling you, that's what he wants. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants to take your peace away. He doesn't even need to send a storm in many cases. He will use anxious thoughts. You get fixated on the news and there's nothing wrong with knowing what's going on. But you know, some people, they've got to be thinking about it and watching reports over. And you know, that's fear based you know, this could happen and that could happen and something else. And oh my goodness, I'll never get on a plane again because they're going to blow it up. And we're going to live smaller and smaller and smaller lives. And when you entertain those thoughts, when you allow them to fill you with negative things, I, I need you to hear me this morning, friends. Please understand something about your spiritual enemy. The devil is not after your money. He's after your peace. The devil is not after your career. He's not trying to take you out of your career. He's trying to take away your peace. He's not after your health. He wants your peace. But if he is able, you know, see, if your peace is tied up in your job, If your confidence, your trust is tied up in your career, if your peace is tied up in your health, if your peace is tied up in your things, He will send a storm to mess with all of that to get to your peace. Does that make sense this morning? I'm telling you, the only reason that he's messing with some of this stuff right now, is not because he wants them. It's because he'll attack anything that you put your security in so he can steal your peace. That's what he wants. You say, oh man, there's this going on in my workplace and there's this going on in my family and there's this going on in my finances. The enemy must be trying to steal all that. He has no use for those things. But he does want your peace. Peace. He wants to take that away. So so, so what can we do about that? Whether the storm for you is out there right now or whether it's up here, what can we do to get peace in a storm? Well, thankfully, Paul in Philippians 4 shows us, man, I tell you, if anyone ever knew about getting peace in a storm, it was this guy, Paul. You know, he went through three shipwrecks. Every time he went through one, he was thrown out of that, you know, the boat capsized. He's around in the washing around in the water. He survives with just clothes on his back. If anyone learns some things about dealing with stormy weather, that's this guy, Paul, right? And listen to what he says in Philippians 4 verse 4. I'll read it to you because some of you have already cut it out of your Bibles. This is what it says (laughs) because you didn't like it, right? He says... Rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you missed it, activate again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? For the Lord is near. Aren't you glad He's near today? I was reading a psalm earlier in the week. It's like number 14, 15. And it says, you know... Basically, the people are saying, run and hide and fear and... uh, And then it says, but the Lord is in his holy temple and he's still in control of things. You know, the world would say, oh, but God is still on the throne this morning. He holds the world in the palm of his hands, right? He is all powerful. He defeated the enemy at the cross We have nothing to fear. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. For the Lord is near. Friend, aren't you glad he's near today? He's not far away. He's not busy with somebody else. According to Paul, he's near. That ought to encourage some of you who are going through a storm right now. Think about it. Where was Jesus when the disciples were freaking out? And he was right there with them in the boat, right? Remember, he's on his cushion with the J on it. What was he doing while they're panicking? What was he doing? He he was sleeping. Think about it, friends. Jesus was in the same boat. He's going through exactly the same storm. And yet he's snoring while they're screaming. What does that tell you? It tells me that it's possible to have peace in the middle of a storm. It tells me that it is actually possible to have peace in the middle of a storm. Jesus was able to sleep in that storm. Watch this now. Because although he was in a storm, he refused to allow that storm to get into him. That's the big difference. He was in the storm. And tomorrow morning when you go to work, you may walk into a storm. But that does not mean that you have to allow that storm to get into you. Are you hearing me this morning? That's why anxiety is so deadly. Because the worst storm in the world is not the one out there. It's the one that we allow up here. That is why Paul says in Philippians 4.6, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. What's he saying? He's saying, don't freak out. Pray. Don't get all worked up and anxious and, you know, get yourself an ulcer. Pray. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't put it on Instagram. Do you read some of these posts? Oh my goodness, I'm so miserable. I'm this, I'm that. Well, yes, you are. But the Bible says that we're more than conquerors. The Bible says that in him we have life. In him we are blessed. In him we are strong. What are you putting that rubbish out there for? No, you are not those things unless you believe them. Don't put it on Facebook. He says, pray. See, he's saying your very first response to the storms of life should not be to panic, but instead to pray. And then he says, and be thankful. Now, I know we don't like that. I know we would rather him say, just be miserable because it's tough right now. But he doesn't say that. He says, be thankful. See, by praying, we put our trust in the one who can actually help us. Facebook can't help us. But when we pray, we put our trust in the one who can help us through the storm. And when we have an attitude of thankfulness, we're reminding ourselves, man, if he has helped me before, he can help me again. If he got me through it before, he can get me through it again. If he was the breakthrough before and he was the answer before, he can be the answer again. Amen. Amen. Now look at me. Uh, look with me at verse 7. Because this is really what I want you to see. I was preaching all of that just to get to verse 7, all right? Verse 7. Paul says, And the peace of God... Whose peace is he talking about? He, He says, And the peace of God which transcends... Our puny little brains, our understanding is going to do something. This piece of God, he says, will, not might, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look at that. Look at that. He says, if you will pray, if you will be thankful, when the wind starts to blow and the waves start to rise up and it looks a bit stormy in your life, in your marriage, in your finances, if you will pray, if you will be thankful when the enemy starts sending things your way. Watch this, watch this. Listen, he says, God will give you his peace in exchange for your anxiety. I'm speaking to some people this morning. I don't know why I'm preaching this sermon. I could have preached thousands, but I felt like this morning we needed to hit some things because I know that there are people in this room this morning that may not be facing storms out there, but you're facing them up here. You're lying awake at night. You're unable to do some things God's calling you to do. And Ben and Sarah need you to deal with some of this stuff up here so that together we can be the church that he's calling us to be and impact our community and go forward. But when we're afraid, we shrink back. When we're struggling with anxiety and fear, we're, we're small and we're limited. Paul says God wants to give you his peace in exchange for your anxiety. That's his promise. God's peace not our kind of peace. I mean, anyone can have peace while the sun is shining in line by the pool about to get a massage. Uh Our peace is dependent upon circumstance. But but when God gives you his peace, he's talking about a supernatural peace. He's talking about an illogical peace. He's talking about an unconditional peace, peace for the storm. Peace for the trials, the kind of peace when someone looks at you and what you're going through, they're like, my goodness, how do you keep a smile on your face and keep trusting God when you're in such a storm? That's the kind of peace that he wants to give you today. But Paul isn't finished because he says, and God's peace shall guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And when he uses that word guard, it's a military term. It's a military term for an impenetrable barrier or a fortress that God promises to place around your heart and your mind so the fear can't get in anymore. It's a supernatural thing that he does. That's what he has for you today. It's awesome. His peace in exchange for your fear, worry, and anxiety. Band, you can come. Listen to me, friend. I don't know what you're facing right now, but I want you to know that he has what you need. I don't know what you're going through, but I know that he has what you need. Tonight, I'm going to teach on the kind of faith that attracts miracles. Now you might not normally come out on a Sunday night and you're busy like the rest of us. And you say, look, I don't go to church normally twice on a weekend, but I'm telling you, if you need a miracle in your life or in your family or you know someone who needs a miracle, you just got to get here tonight. I'm encouraging you. Get here tonight. Bring someone if you can that needs a miracle because I'm going to believe that tonight, after I've shared the word of God, we are going to see in this place miracles break out. I believe that God is big enough and good enough to do that. So you know, what I told you before about the storm that we faced when my dad was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. You know, when he arrived at that hospital, his cancer count was 98. What that means is that 98% of the cells in his body were riddled with cancer. We had the meeting, you know, the end of days meeting, where all the specialists sit around with the family. Dad's in the hospital bed looking like he's a prisoner of war you know, he just just, uh, victim, he just lost all of his weight. He's lying there like a skeleton in the bed. His specialist said, I'm sorry, Kevin, you will never go home. His hematologist said, palliative care is your only option. His cardiologist, who's treated him for years, said that you will never get off the eight machines that are keeping you alive. Friends, listen to me. My dad applied the three keys that I'm going to share with you tonight for attracting a miracle, and today I'm pleased to say he is a miracle. He's a walking miracle. His cancer count went from 98 to 2. His hematologist cannot believe that. My dad is on no medication at all. He's gone home. He's living a normal life. You would never think that there's anything wrong with him. I'm telling you this morning, God knows what you need. He knows what you need. His word has the answers. I'll give that to you tonight. But if you're in a storm this morning, listen to me carefully. I need you to hear this as I close. God never promised to steal every storm. God never promised to steer you around every storm. But he does promise to give you peace in the storm. Even while the sun was shining. Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side. And in that statement, there was a promise. Jesus knew that the storm was coming. He knew that it was going to get rough. And he knows what it is that you're going through right now. But in that statement, there's a promise. And it's a promise you can only get from the Prince of Peace. When he says, let's cross to the other side, you know what that means? That means we're going to get there that means that we're not going to drown. We're not going to fail. We're not going to be overwhelmed with Him in our boat. We are going to get there. Let's cross to the other side. See, if the Prince of Peace is in your boat today, it doesn't matter that the waves start rising and the wind starts howling. The sky might be dark today, but believe me when I tell you, you are going to get there. It might be a little bit rough in your boat this morning because of what you're facing, but you are going to get there. If the Prince of Peace is in your boat, you can rest assured. I'm telling you, friend, you're going to get there. So the Bible says at the height of the storm, when all seemed lost, Jesus stood to his feet. He rebuked that storm. And just like that, the Bible says there was perfect peace from the Prince of Peace. That's what He wants for your life today. That's what I came to tell you today. No more fear, no more stress. Perfect peace from the Prince of Peace. Come on, let's pray today. Father, I thank You that You are such a good and kind God. I thank You that You know everything that's going on in lives and hearts across this building this morning. You know the schemes that the enemy has tried to bring people down in this place. But what the enemy meant for evil, you're going to turn around and bring for your good. You're going to cause good things to come as people grab a hold of these promises today and believe that you will be their peace. You will exchange their anxiety for your perfect, supernatural, unable to understand it kind of a peace. We thank you for it today we receive it today in the name of Jesus we take it by faith we say God we don't want to fear anymore we don't want to be anxious anymore we want to be victorious in this life and make a difference in this world in our families in our community in our city God we take a hold of your promises and we ask that the prince of peace would come and rule in our hearts today